Welcome to the Impact Podcast by Youthopia. Join me in meeting the youth of Singapore who are making a positive impact to the world around them. Welcome back to the show. Today, we have Liana joining us. Liana runs a yoga community called Unapologetic Yoga that emphasizes on the inclusive nature of yoga and the purpose of it to be liberating the way it should be. Hi, Liana. Thanks Hi, for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, so I am a yoga and meditation facilitator and guide. And um, Unapologetic Yoga is really focused on decolonizing yoga, making it more accessible and inclusive, and also centering the experiences of marginalized people and people who feel that they don't belong in contemporary yoga spaces. Mm. Let's have a conversation about how, I guess our topic of today is how yoga can be a way of understanding how inclusivity plays a larger role in our lives than we think. And it's very interesting that you mentioned um, when you're reading out that, that, that introduction, right? You said that how yoga can be decolonized. It's very interesting. Let's touch about that first because I think when most of us hear like the word yoga, we think about, I mean, I hate to say it, but there's a stereotype associated, right? You think about like leggings, you think of like skinny women and usually they are of a Western descent, right? I mean, traditionally, no, but like increasingly in like the 21st century, this is the kind of idea that we have. What is then, I guess, like the true form of yoga or like what should, yoga be like? Yeah, so yoga at its core is um, a practice of connection. It's a practice of connection between the body and the breath and the mind and the spirit. Um, and it's also, as you said, it's also a practice that traces its roots back to um, South Asia, what is now South Asia and Africa. And um, these are the people who have begun the teachings of yoga. And uh, yeah, you're right that you're right to say that um, right now, we don't see a lot of representation of these mm -hmm. people transmitting these teachings. So I think when we think about what yoga is, um, I thought we would talk a bit about um, this text called the Yoga Sutras, which is written by, it's, a, it's an ancient classical uh, yogic text written by a sage called Patanjali, um, who lived in India in like, <laughs> I don't know, a very long time ago. <laughs> And he, he defines yoga in the text as um, chitta vritti nirodaha, which translates from Sanskrit to mean that yoga is the calming of the waves of the mind. And I think ultimately that is the place that we need to be at when we are practicing yoga. So yoga isn't about um, being able to do a handstand or being able to hold like chaturanga for 10 seconds mm. or whatever. It's about finding a place where you can be um, still with your mind and your body and be okay with the stillness. So yeah, calming the waves of the mind, I think is a nice way to think about what yoga is. Mm. It's very interesting because I think one aspect that you touch on quite a bit at unapologetic yoga, I think the first question is maybe why is it called unapologetic yoga? And the second thing is the idea of like being inclusive is quite a big part of, I guess, what you stand for, right? Why is it important to, to stand for this? Yeah. Okay. Wow, great questions. <laughs> okay, so it's called unapologetic yoga because I think that people should be able to practice yoga unapologetically. Mm. Like, I think you don't have to... So the, the thing that I have personally experienced and I think many people do experience with modern-day yoga spaces is there tends to be a certain look that you associate. Like, you said it yourself, right? There's a certain look that you associate with, with yoga studios. And I don't know, like, have you... Is there, are there any other examples that you can think of? Have you done yoga before in a studio? Is there... I have. And I often feel... I think it's very interesting because I used to practice it for a while. But then when I was trying to find, like, a, a space to constantly go to, I think I felt very pressured because all the different yoga studios 
was just very like the vibe was just not there. I don't know how to describe it, but it's like slightly unwelcoming. And then I felt very pressured most of the time. So I think when I finally settled in on like a yoga studio that I liked, even though they still had elements of like being a very modern day yoga space, right? Like everybody looks a certain way, but they didn't feel as like judgmental, which I think is a common experience that like you said, like a lot of people face. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that that's something that like, um, so we tend to associate yoga with like fitness, right? Mm-hmm. I think many people come into yoga thinking like, okay, I'm going to try Pilates, I'm going to try Zumba and I'm going to try yoga. Like they're all the same category. Um, but actually like ultimately at its root, yoga isn't, like there are definitely physical fitness benefits, but it's not um, just a physical fitness practice. Mm. And practicing it in the way that it is just a physical fitness practice has kind of resulted, I think, in the way that we um, see modern day yoga studios to be today. You know, like hyper-athletic, um, very flexible, uh, like centered around flexibility, basically. Um, when in actuality, like this is just a small section of yoga. And mm. like if going back to uh, Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, he actually lists out... Um, the eight-limbed path that is associated with yoga. So there's eight different limbs. And asana, the physical practice, is, which is what we do in the studio, is um, just one of the limbs. So there's still like seven more, of which um, one of them is breath work, pranayama, and then there's three that can be kind of linked to meditation as well. Mm. So by kind of pigeonholing, as- uh, pige- pigeonholing yoga to just mean asana, it shortchanges us from all these other benefits that we can get from the practice as well. Mm. It's interesting because I think um, following up from that, the idea of being inclusive in yoga, how does that, or like why is that important, I guess, for for maybe like modern studios to kind of adopt that? I think inclusivity is important um, because people need to be seen. I think that we... So yoga is, and fitness, I guess, are very body-based practices, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that many of us already come to the table with a lot of emotions and feelings towards our bodies. Um, A lot of us do not treat our bodies with kindness. We don't look upon ourselves in a kind and gentle way. And participating in a practice that is so centred around the body is even more important for us to be able to find that space to be okay with the body as the body is. Mm. And putting ourselves in, in, in a hyper-competitive environment, in an environment where we don't feel welcome or we don't feel like the space is inclusive, just makes that worse. And then you end up at a place, or you can end up in a place that is even worse from where you where you began. And, and that's not what we want in yoga because ultimately the goal of yoga is liberation, right? So mm. we can't be liberated if um, we are stuck in this space of not feeling safe. Mm. So I guess the question is, as for for your particular practice as compared to um what we see in like modern day studios now, what would the difference kind of be like? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I think that um when I guide yoga sessions, I really would like to place a focus on the experience that you're having within the body. Mm. So it's less about can I or can I not make my body form this shape which I associate as the ultimate. So like I don't know if you um, if you've experienced maybe in a yoga class um, doing downward facing dog, for yep. example. Um, and then the teacher cues you, okay, so your legs should be um, touching the floor. If they're not touching the floor, they should be trying to touch the floor. The hips are to the ceiling, etc. You're supposed to look like a triangle. So instead of those cues, which form these things in our brain and we're like, okay, I need to look like a triangle. I need to look like a triangle. Mm. Um, instead of that, can we feel into the feelings that are being evoked when we're in the shape. So what does it feel like to lift the hips? Mm. What does it feel like to do the individual motions and not be focused on 
the image that we are that we associate with the shape. And many yoga studios also have mirrors, right? So you can see what you're doing. And when you see yourself and you see the teacher who is often demonstrating it in quote unquote the perfect yeah, kind of the form, perfect right? Perfect form. Yeah. yeah. And you're like, oh no, I don't look like this in the shape. And then you think you're doing it wrongly. When in actuality you're not doing it wrongly. Your mm. body is just working in a different way than the teacher. That's fine. Mm. Mm, very interesting. So I guess like going on the point on inclusivity, right? It's a big element of your business. I'm wondering, it, it, and I think like inclusivity has been quite a growing buzzword. Like in 21st century, um, businesses are trying to adopt that into their practice, right? Be like being inclusive with like genders, you know, like people from different like communities that are maybe more marginalized than others, um, persons living with disabilities and stuff like that. I guess the question is, for someone like yourself, if let's say there were another business who was um, trying to start out to be more inclusive, right? What would be like an advice that you would give them when it comes to trying to adopt inclusivity into their business? So I think that being inclusive um, really depends on what the person who wants to be inclusive has in mind. Um, I think that, so for me, being inclusive is about allowing people to be free. It's about giving them a space to exist without fear where they are treated fairly. Um, and I think that that plays into how you build an inclusive business. Mm. So one important thing to consider when we're thinking about this is that we cannot be afraid to learn new things. Mm. Um, I think we, we can't be afraid to say that, okay, I've learned X, Y, Z about inclusivity and now I know everything I need to know. It's constantly a, a process of learning. So like, if we're learning about including different genders, then we need to learn about different genders. We need to learn about the topics that surround these people's lives and we need to do this in a way that centres them. If we're learning about disability, we need to learn from disabled people. Um, and I think that this is really important, right? So like when you're forming a business and let's say um, you need a logo, you don't know how to do the logo, you hire a graphic designer to do your logo you need a marketer, you hire a marketing team, right? It should be the same thing for diversity and inclusion. Mm -hmm. So if you don't know or you feel like you're not at a place to know the experiences of someone who is marginalised, um, then you need to learn from them and you need to pay them, you know, like take, mm -hmm. a, take a course. And, and I think it needs, to, it needs to constantly be a learning process. You need to be open to feedback from marginalised people. You need to hear what they have to say and you need to be genuinely invested to make them feel welcome in your space and make them feel welcome in your business. Mm. This may come, off, come as a bit of a a uh, dull question to you but I guess why is inclusivity important for businesses to think about? Um, okay, so I think the what, what do you think the end goal of a business is? <laughs> to profit, <laughs> is it not? <laughs> I guess, yeah. It's to, it's to expose multiple people to your product, right? Yep, yep, it's yep, to yep. share the product or mm. the service or whatever. So when we're thinking about inclusivity, I don't know, to me, it seems like a natural connection, right? Why wouldn't you want more people to be interested in your product? Mm. If I feel included, I'm Why gonna... would you turn away others, right? Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I think that that is, is ultimately what it comes down to. It's if you're able to make people feel safe in a space um, by centering their needs, then people are naturally going to want to... Mm want to go to your business or, or, or engage with your services. And also, I think ultimately, it's, it's the right thing to do. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> I think that many marginalised people, we've, we've been at a place where um, nothing has been catered to us. And I think that right now, with all the discourse that's going on, there's so much information, it's really easily available. Um, I really think that there is no excuse for people not to be inclusive anymore. Mm -hmm. So, I understand that there's an aspect of your business that you adopt, which is the idea of letting people pay as they see fit for um, the yoga class that you conduct, right? Tell me a bit about 
that and how you incorporate like inclusivity into your business in general? Yeah, so um, what I do for classes is that I tend to have a certain number of spaces reserved per class. Mm. And those those spaces are reserved for people who are in financial need, for marginalised folks, for anyone who needs to attend or would like to attend but feels that the cost is prohibitive. Um, and I do this as a way of kind of saying that this practice is available to you regardless of, of however much you can pay. And I think that that like it's it ultimately comes down from a place of trust, right? So how it works is basically I, I just say like you can send me an email if you wanna attend at a reduced cost and then people can pay however much they want. Sometimes it's fifty, sometimes it's thirty percent, um, sometimes it's nothing at all if that's what they are capable of paying at the time. And I think that this like Mm, for me, it's a way of building trust with people because I think that we often have to jump through a lot of like loopholes in order to get subsidies, in order to um, part- participate in things at a reduced rate. And sometimes like the process of filling out the forms and, and saying like, why do I deserve this space is, is a whole process in itself and it's not nourishing. It doesn't help you feel seen as a person. Mm. So I think the idea of offering stuff at a reduced price, offering a few spaces at a reduced price um, helps to build this sense of trust with the community that, hey, if you need help this month, I got you, you know. And very often I, f- I feel that it's, or I see that it's people who are able to pay full price one month and the next month they are not and then they use one of these subsidized spots. Mm. So I think it's it's really based on trust. Mm. Um, and I think trust is really important in in. Um, different like pricing schemes and having like sliding scale pricing or reduced pricing etc mm. i'm interested to know so it's, it's very interesting because i think like with like modern day yoga i think a lot of people are i mean how how i i would see it is that or like, i guess like how the general public sees it is that you know yoga is something that is um like you said you know for physical pursuits right like there's a there's an aesthetic kind of look that i want to achieve by going for yoga and i think there's this whole idea that yoga is expensive and only i guess a privilege right to some individuals who can financially afford it does that kind of and i feel like that's really actually quite in conflict with whatever you were sharing about with regards to like where yoga was coming from and like um what we should be taking away from it and how it should be available to everybody do you like personally feel maybe frustrated at the state of like how things are i guess so ultimately we are existing in a capitalist world right Mm -hmm. as much as i would like to say that okay here's this yoga practice for free we're gonna do it every week and you don't have to pay anything for it like i need to pay bills it's true she needs to (laughs) eat yeah we need to eat as well so I see where people are coming from, mm. um, but I would like to think that we can build systems that subvert this slightly while still existing in the world we live in. Mm. I would like to think that we can find ways to... And and I, I don't think that like the sliding scale is the perfect solution. I don't think that the solutions I have implemented are the perfect solutions far from it. Um, but I would like us to try and be innovative and think of ways that we can try and find a balance between those two things. Um, I don't think yoga has to be expensive. So like there's there's a ton of yoga like on YouTube for free, right? Yeah. <laughs> and um, I think the difference with with um, doing something like watching a YouTube video versus going to a class is again the space. Mm. It's the people you're with. Mm-hmm. Um, the teacher that is bringing the practice to you. So I find that um, yoga and a lot of other body-based practices do... There is a difference when you feel a relationship with the teacher and you yep. feel like the teacher understands you, you feel seen. 
Um, so that could be a reason why people choose to go to physical classes instead of doing it yourself online. And of course, you get the additional benefit of the teacher being able to work with you specifically and your specific needs. Mm. Mm. And I guess, like, how do you, like, on your own, kind of try to close that gap between um, helping us understand? Because I think, like, you know, I, I think the reason why people might find... Um, or associate like yoga, modern yoga with like the the Western kind of like idea of how yoga is, right? It's because precisely like if you Google like yoga classes on YouTube, right? It's like a white woman leading a yoga yes. class, right? And then there's no... So many. Yeah, so, so many. many yoga with Adrienne. I yeah. mean, we all did her doing circuit breaker. Come on. Um, but yeah... Yeah, but nobody's gonna Google like what are the eight different limbs, right? Yeah, like, nobody's gonna <laughs> sit there and read and like maybe meditate for half an hour. So I guess how do you bridge that gap between uh, the information gap? Yeah. So I think that um okay in yoga with Adrian's defense, right? She's not the worst. Okay, she's actually not bad. <laughs> she's yeah. she's not bad. I mean, she calms me down. Yeah, she has. I I know some people really like her because like her voice is very soothing and she talks a lot. Some people like it when when the teachers talk a lot during the class. Um. And I, I do think that perhaps something that I would personally do is I would include more philosophy in mm. yoga classes. Like, I think the the issue is that because we have this societal perception of what a yoga class is, we we, we get stuck in this idea of seeing yoga as asana, the physical postures. Mm. So, like, for example, um, I've been told, like, when teaching a yoga class, you can only spend... Three minutes in meditation, three minutes in shavasana, which is the final resting posture where we lie on the ground. Um, and the rest of it has to be exercise because the client is coming to the class expecting exercise. Mm. So you have to give them the exercise and we can't do anything else. And then it's like, okay, but what about philosophy? What about all the other things? What about breath work? What about like three minutes of meditation, seriously? Mm. Um, so we get stuck in these, in these perceptions of what things are and then we can't break away from them because that's what the client is expecting in quotes. So, you know, I think as 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 consumers, as people who are practicing yoga, if we change this perception that yoga is about getting in a sweat, mm. then maybe we'll be able to move beyond that. Yeah. No, that's I think that's so challenging also because like as you are recounting as you are sharing that with me, suddenly the the I, I think of like a memory where I was in a yoga class and then I was in chair pose, right? And then the instructor was like, Your butt's gonna look so great this oh, weekend. No. Because you're working that booty, I'm like, okay, <laughs> yay, I'm hot. <laughs> yeah, I have I have a huge problem with this, actually. Like, I think yoga is too, like, we need to divest yoga from diet culture. Like, I'm not mm. in a yoga, like, I've, I've heard the same thing in a yoga class. I've heard, I think it was Chinese New York or something. I've heard, like, you stay in this for, for, for one more minute and you're, you can eat one, like, three pineapple tarts or something this weekend. And I'm like, excuse me, What? <laughs> Because that's not the that's not the purpose. We're yep. not here to lose weight. Correct. It's, it's beyond that. Correct. It's, it's not. So many issues with that statement, I think. That whole like trying yes. to be relatable, slightly fat shaming, I have to say, yes. you know. Don't fat shame people in yoga class. It's not what we're here for. Correct. Like don't force them into some weird diet culture thing that they didn't ask for. They're just here for yoga class. It's true. Not your job. <laughs> it's true, it's true. Mm. Okay, so let's let's talk a bit about um, I guess uh how drawing back to the point of like inclusivity for you personally I guess like what other areas of society do you think are like commonly overlooked and where else is like change required specifically maybe in like the more like physical aspects of like working out and stuff like that like yoga classes and stuff mm. well like everywhere mm-hmm. <laughs> I think we have a lot of work to do I think 
what's important is that we... I think conversations are happening, mm. definitely. Um, but I think that we need to move beyond the conversations and we need to take practical change. Like, it's, it's, it's good to have conversations, yes, but I think that at some point we need to realise that the decisions that we are making, the decisions that we're making as, as wellness professionals, as fitness professionals, are having a direct impact on the lives of our clients. Yep. And ultimately, if your the aim of your practice is to enhance their lives, and I think that's the aim of every fitness trainer or yoga instructor or whatever, you want to help your client feel good. You want to mm. help them build a practice that is nourishing for them, that helps them um, attain their needs. Um, so if that's the goal of what you're trying to do, then we need to be more active in trying to include people from all kinds of backgrounds. Mm, and what and what does that look like? Because, I mean, just thinking on the top of my head now, like, I guess, like, yeah, I, I have never seen, like, maybe a plus-size individual, thinking about my year plus of doing yoga, I've never seen, like, a plus-size individual walk through the door. Usually, the person on the mat next to me looks like me, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, so, I think when we talk about inclusivity, right, the reason why I feel personally... Um, I, I'm not plus size, I would say I'm mid-size, um, and I'm not hyper-flexible. So I would say that for me, what matters when I step into a yoga studio is to know that the teacher is able to give me cues that work with my body. Mm. So it took me, I had to go to yoga teacher training to mm. learn how to do things that were for my body. And I have been practicing yoga for years before. I was never told any of these modifications that were things that I needed to help me come into shapes. Mm. So this shouldn't need to be the case, right? The teacher is there to help you on your journey. Mm. And I think that what um, what helps this process is seeing people who look like us. So I think when we talk about inclusivity, it's not just inclusivity in terms of like, okay, I want my business to be diverse, to attract, uh, I want my business to be inclusive, to attract a bunch of different people, not just people who look like me, the teacher, or the studio owner. Um, but we also need to think about how. So it's, easy to say like it's easy to put up a sign that says we welcome all bodies yep yep but it's not always easy to have all those bodies that you want to welcome walking into your doors correct correct and i think that what what makes a difference to that is seeing people who look like you mm. um i think that yoga studios need to diversify their staff as mm. well in order to attract people who look different okay so i want to touch a bit about the idea of like meditation when it comes to yoga because i think increasingly as I guess work culture becomes a bit more challenging and we talk a bit more about like work-life balance and like mindfulness and mental health and stuff like that um meditation becomes an important part of like trying mm. to trying to balance out like work-life balance right so I guess for you what advice would you give for individuals who specifically you know want to adopt like meditation as a way of like de-stressing or like moving away from like the busyness of our lives Mm, yeah, I think that when um, I think when it comes to de-stressing, we need to find things that work for us. Mm. So meditation works for some people, and it doesn't work for other people, or it's more difficult for other people. Yeah, I think you can definitely build yourself up into the habit, um, but if you start with something that's super intimidating and doesn't work for you at that point in time, like let's say you've never meditated in your life, and you decide, okay, I'm gonna do a half an hour guided meditation, mm. and then what tends to happen? What happened for me definitely when I started meditating, I was like, okay, this is ridiculous. I'm never gonna make it through this half an hour. I'm dying of boredom. Someone help! <laughs> <laughs> and then, Sorry. <laughs> and then you click out and you never go back into it ever. It's true. And then the, the next time someone mentions it, you're like, oh my god, I hate meditation. I can't exactly. do it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So. I think starting in small amounts is good. 
if you can't sit for half an hour, which is totally normal, <laughs> then try with like 30 seconds. Try mm. with a minute. Try with two minutes. And I think you also don't necessarily have to, it doesn't necessarily have to be like, okay, I'm going to sit down at the beginning of my day. So like, I feel like we have this association, like, you know, like you have your morning routine mm. and then you wake up and you do your meditation for 10 minutes and you do your yoga for 10 minutes and then you make your ho- your healthy breakfast. Of, like, your matcha drink. <laughs> screaming. matcha drink. Me though. <laughs> <laughs> so it doesn't have to look like that. It can be any time of the day. Personally, I meditate at night because like in the morning, I have no energy to do anything. Mm. No. Mm. So I meditate at night and you really need to find something that works with um, what you want to do and what's comfortable for you. It doesn't matter what people on Instagram are telling you you should do. It's what feels good for you at that point in time. Mm. I want to ask you to touch a bit about the, the idea of like the mindful art that you were sharing earlier. So another thing that I would say you can do when you're looking for something to be mindful about, right, is to do practices that are based in processes. Mm. So I um, I do a, well, I co-lead a class that is centered around doing mindful art making. So we call it embodied art. Interesting. Thank you. <laughs> and so how the class works is that we do a guided visualization. So we've done a couple so far. So for example, we do a guided visualization of the forest. Um, and you're led through this visualization with like smells, with images that you form in your head as you enter the forest. Um, and then after that, we have a short class on um, techniques. So like different art techniques that you can use. So for example, line making, um, printing, etc. And then what you do at the end is you create this piece of embodied art based on the thing that you've seen from your visualization. And the end goal of it is really to be in the process. So the end goal is not for you to create the most beautiful piece of art that you've seen in your entire life. Yep. It's really to transfer what you have seen in your head, your feelings, your emotions. Because lots of things come up when we do a visualisation. It may not just be the forest. It could be like internal thoughts. It could be things that you're feeling in the moment. It could be emotions. Like lots of things come up when we're sitting and visualising. Yeah, very interesting because I think that like me as you are relating that to me now, I definitely find it a challenge. Like, I'm thinking yeah. if I were ever to... to, And I would love to try that out. But, like, I, I can imagine it must be difficult. Because I think, like, in, in society... Yeah, we are very, like, goal-based yes. kind of society, <laughs> exactly. right? Right. We aim for something. It's yes. like, when you said, like, when you go for an art class, the teacher will be like, hey, this is a... Have you chosen a picture? <laughs> and then your your goal is to complete that, that painting, right? Yeah. I, I'm, I'm wondering how might you like encourage like the people who are like tuning in to maybe not focus so much on like that and to yeah be more in tune with like the process it's really interesting you talk about this because like this is actually something that happens with meditation as well mm. so I always get people telling me I can't clear my mind I can't clear my mind when we're meditating I can't clear my mind mm. and like here's the thing big news it's not possible to clear your mind. Mm. Spoiler alert. This is not possible. Shocking. <laughs> so when you're meditating, right, of course thoughts are going to come into your mind. They're in your mind all the time. Yep. If you're sitting in stillness, of course the thoughts are going to be there even more because you're not, you're trying not to think of anything else. Mm-hmm. So ultimately what we are learning to do is let the thoughts happen. Just let the thoughts happen and let the next thought happen, let the next thought happen and learn to exist in a place where it's okay that these thoughts are happening. They're just there. I, I was just going to say that like sometimes... I mean, adding on to that, I think like when I think about like, let's say like specifically yoga or going to yoga class, right? I often think about like, okay, I'm going to go for yoga class and feel like 
really relaxed or like really mm. like nourished from 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 the experience, right? But oftentimes I come out of the yoga class feeling like tired, extra tired, and extra like frustrated. So I think that's really interesting, and I will sit on that thought. But I wanted to ask you, I guess, like one last question before we round things up. In that, for anybody who's tuning in, right, with regards to the idea of like the space of yoga inclusivity and stuff like that, do you have any like last nuggets of like wisdom that you want to impart? Oh, that's a intense question. <laughs> Um, I think that ultimately when you're stepping into a yoga space, you need to know that your practice is for you. Mm. I think that I offer you an invitation to release expectations. You know, release the idea that you're going to come out feeling relaxed or whatever. Just know that this is the process. The process is going to happen. Emotions might come up after the process and all those emotions are fine and valid. It doesn't make your practice any less valid or more valid if you feel certain emotions. It's just what's happening because like they're all influenced by what's happening in the day, what's happening with you, what's happening with the teacher, what's happening with the relationship that you have with your classmates, with the whole space. Um, so I think we really just be kind to yourself and also know that it's okay to step away. Mm. So if a space isn't vibing with you, it's okay to step away from the space and try another space. If you feel like yoga isn't vibing with you, then maybe you can try another mindful practice, you can try another gentle movement practice and you can come back to it another time. So ultimately, it really depends on what is right for your body at this particular time. Mm. You need to learn to listen to yourself and know that what you're feeling is valid. Mm. Mm. Cool. So... Thank you for joining us on the show today. I hope for everybody who's tuning in, this conversation with Liana has helped you think about maybe being more mindful in your day-to-day activities and for all of you yoga practitioners to consider, I don't know, like either being more inclusive or consider like why you pursue certain things, right? That's, I think, an interesting conversation that we had. Yana, over to you. Do you have any... If somebody were to want to find you, attend one of your classes, how can they reach out to you? Yeah, so the best way to find me is on Instagram. I am at unapologeticyoga on Instagram. Um, Yeah, and my website is unapologeticyoga.com. Cool. Thanks a lot for joining us today, Liana. Thank you for having me. This show was brought to you by Youthtopia. This project showcases everyday Singaporeans that have made an impact in our society. Have someone in mind? Nominate that person at utopia.sg forward slash impact.